You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday the 20th of October and another pretty bleak grey day here in TW11 but the rain has relented at least for the moment and that's rather been the story of the week as we build towards Kipco British Champions Day declarations for which were made yesterday and we've been waiting on a British Champion Series and Ascot to make a call as to whether to use the traditional track or whether to use the inner track the hurdles track to ensure slightly less extreme ground. Uh, Nick Smith, the Director of Public Affairs at Ascot, and is on the line now. And Nick, the decision has been made. What decision have you made? Yes, well, there's been a, a look at the course by the by the four people who are relevant to the decision, which is the uh, the Chair of the Stewards panel, uh, Hopper Cavendish, Philip Hobbs, Inspector of Courses, uh, and Keith Otterson, who's the independent clerk of the course. And they all agree with Chris's uh, assessment this morning that there's heavy on the on the round course, the outer course. And so that triggers uh, now the decision to move to the to the inner course, which is good to soft, soft in places. So that's where we are. Uh, so it'll still be very much a, a course for sort of easy ground horses. Last time, 2019, it was on the inner course. It was good to soft. Um, Nick, the, the, the one question that's been asked this week is, why has it taken so long and couldn't this have been done before declarations? Well, it would be lovely to do it before declarations, but to do it before declarations, you almost have to be in an abandonment situation because you have to, under the rule that's been put in place, be able to have heavy in the going description and certainty in your mind that heavy will remain in the going description. Of course, yesterday there wasn't too much rain really in, in context that we had soft ground so under the current rule as it stands uh, there was no scope to make that decision until we had uh, the, the heavy in the description today and could there be a, a change to that provision or do you think you've sort of reached the perfect point with that well i don't think perfection has been achieved at all and i don't think it is achievable and we've been through several iterations of how the rule is and how it plays out um, and what's been better this time around is that there hasn't been public controversy between those with horses with X preference or Y preference, uh, sort of under, undermining the build-up to the day. And the question's really been, when are you going to be able to make the decision? Now, we were very conscious that if, if at all possible, you'd want to get it done by declarations. Not possible to do that. I mean, it's, it's a sunny day, it's sunny here now, <laughs> within reason. Um, uh, and and under, the, under the current guidelines, we think we're probably in, probably in just about the right place because we were able to make that decision before, uh, before 24 hours out from racing, which gives the, the papers, the broadcasters, the organisers of Whirlpool enough time to, to make the, the necessary adjust, uh, adjustments to the data that they're sending out. Uh, and Nick, it's good to soft soft in places on that inner track. Could it deteriorate further? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that is that is one of the reasons why we were able to make the uh, to make the, the decision to switch the courses. Uh, you know, we are expecting more rain, uh, and it could get further towards soft on the uh, on the inner track. That's quite possible. Um, I mean, the, the great thing <laughs> the great thing in context of all of this is that is that there won't be a pivotal and fundamental ground change. We're just going to go from a, a soft track which has got heavy patches and could indeed become heavy to a course which we hope will be soft uh, at worst all the way around. And it is autumn and we do want to provide, uh, well, if nature provides the, 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 the ground for horses to prefer soft ground, then one doesn't want to interfere too much, which is one of the main reasons why you can't use the inner track as the default. You wouldn't want to fundamentally change uh, the nature of the ground. All right, that's Nick Smith. Uh, Lydia Hislop is with me. 
to react to the, the news that hasn't surprised anybody, Lydia. We seem to have, seem to have spent an awful lot of time devoted to this this week, which track we're racing on. Yes, and obviously the the forecast hasn't helped. There's been sort of large deluges of forecasts at inconvenient times, but nonetheless, it does feel like the process has been a bit dragged out. Don't you think? A little, yes, a little. I guess the the logic, as as Nick's explained, is that they want to give it every conceivable chance of racing on the conventional track. But I think the likelihood of there being some heavy in that ground, if that is the the barometer that you've got to go by, the likelihood of there being some heavy in that ground was very high from a very long way out. Yes, and I feel like it's taken quite a long time today to get to the point of having, you know, the official announcement. I understand there is a process and it's helpful that there's a very clear, well-publicised process whereby an independent panel of three, stewards panel chair, the BHA senior inspector of courses and a clerk, of course, that's independent of the British Champion Series, verify the official going description given by Ascot. I, there's there's nothing really in it for for Ascot to give give a uh, going description that is th- different from from th- what is materially happening. Um, I I feel that that part of the process could be um, could be quickened up, could be speeded up because there will be people who will be wanting to 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 get ahead and and have all of the information available at their disposal today to be thinking about what should be some excellent racing tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, it is going to have some sort of an impact. However, if the forecast is correct, even the ground on the inner track is going to certainly be um, at best a mixture of good to soft and soft and at worst something a a fair bit softer than that. It might be worth just casting our mind back to 2019, which was the last time and the only time the inner track was used. Uh, You'll remember that Magic will be a day in the champion stakes and Star Catcher and Kew Gardens were the other winners. So it wasn't exactly the wacky races. No, it wasn't. And in terms of times, officially, and also according to time form, the round course was good to soft on that occasion. And the straight course, officially given as heavy, time form felt it was more like soft. And that tends to be my view about the straight course. It isn't quite as uh, ever as quite as soft as give, as given when a lot of rain has fallen, albeit that the, the, the finishes do visually seem to be quite well strung out. All right. Well, could it be uh, another red letter day for the defending champion, Bay Bridge, who has run some creditable races this season without exploding onto the scene quite as people might have expected? His last run saw him finish sixth in the arc on ground that would have been considered too quick for him. I've been speaking to his assistant trainer, James Savage, and this is what he's got to say about his chances tomorrow. Yeah, he's done really well, uh, Nick. He travelled back great. Um, he's come out of the race in good good shape and he's... Um, He's in good form. His last gallop was nice, um, so we're we're happy. We're happy with uh, we're happy with him uh, as an you know in himself, and we're also happy that the the rain's fallen at Ascot. But um, yeah, we'll get onto the track such thing in, in in a little while when we talk about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we will we'll come to well. But why don't we t- touch on it now? I mean, I I guess for you, you'd rather they were on the outer track because he's a big galloping horse and he absolutely loves soft ground um is, is it a concern for you if they move it inside well it, it it's not con- it's not a concern we have to give up with you, you know the, the the panel will make the right decision for for the race but like i i looked at the bha website there about, uh, about an hour ago now and i think they've updated that it's um there's heavy patches on the on the 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 normal course but it's still uh good to soft on the inner course so their forecast another seven to eight mil at least. So you'd imagine even the intercourse will be will be closer to soft than good. 
that we can't complain. And and as far as um, his his sort of general well being and the way he's run this year is concerned, are there grounds for thinking that tomorrow he can do what he did in this race last year, that he can come back to his best? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he you look back through his races, he's, he's run some really good races. You could argue you could argue he over raced in in the Ganae and things didn't go right, and then he was just lacking a bit of space two out at the Corro ran a big race there I think he ran a huge race in the arc on ground that had baked where he raced and again he just just little, over raced a little bit again there so um, you know we've been without winning we've been happy with each run uh, so tomorrow everything's going to be in his favour apart from the fact well maybe apart from the fact I don't see much pace in the race but um, um, yeah we can't complain about anything tomorrow and I sp- normally, if there's no pace in a race and you're on a horse who stays well, you say, "Well, fine, we'll we'll crack on." But the way he's been running this season, you you can't really do that. You've got to take a lead, haven't you? Well, that'll be ultimately left to Sir Michael and Richard Kingscut. But I personally, I think from stall eight, you, you might do a bit too much going on. Um, you you just hope that something grabs it by the horns and says, "Right, we'll go from a lower draw, maybe, and we can just tuck in and." And get a lead on heels. Um, it, it it might be a tactical race. It, it might well be a tactical race. I can see a certain Ryan Moore on a on an outsider of Aiden O'Brien's. The Aiden Aiden's only runner in the race at forty to one shot from stall three. Uh, I mean, if there's enterprise to be had, we know a man who'll who'll, who'll use some. Well, there's no better man to do it than Ryan Moore, um, and that horse stays well. So hopefully that might go on. Um, yeah. Again, I don't know that it's. It'll all be. It'll all be um, decided when the gates open. Unfortunately, and let's just hope that we get a pace angle to run at, and we give our full, you know, our true run on ground that we want, and um, retain the champ. Uh, retain the champion stakes. James Savage there, Lydia. You can understand why they'd have probably preferred it to stay on the track that it was going to be intended for. But more of a problem for Baybridge, as James was pointing out, there is the fact there's no obvious pace in this race and he doesn't really want to push forward from an outside draw and get him keen like he has been and to try and make his own running yeah that that is an issue if you think back to the um tattersall's gold cup and how keen he was on that occasion now albeit you know he would have been quite fresh at that point albeit it was his second start of the season not not his first but he was still a very fresh horse he does have, have a tendency to race freely particularly this year so i think that draw and the circumstances of the wider circumstances of the race are not ideal for baybridge however he is one of the horses that will handle the prevailing conditions and enjoy them he is, and we don't know for sure whether that's the case about quite a few of the others. Say when John Gosden done his, does his course walk at 9.30 tomorrow. I have offered to go. I, yeah, I heard, I heard, yeah. So I, Are, you I going sent, to go? Are you going to go? Well, I sent him a WhatsApp after the, after the um, com- conversation yesterday, and I said, if I walk the course with you at 9.30 on Saturday, will you appear on my show at 9.30 on Sunday? <laughs> And John said? To which the response was, uh, you'll enjoy this, if I can find it. Hang on. Where is it? John. Isn't, isn't that a, that's a lose-lose choice for John, isn't it, Nick? Well, <laughs> I think that's what he was getting at. <laughs> he said, that was only a tease about walking the course, exclamation mark. I will not be in the London area on Sunday, all the best. Absolutely spot on. <laughs> I 
a great mark for trying there. But I doubtless will see him at Frankie Dottori's celebratory non-retirement dinner tomorrow night. Mm, his his uh, relocation dinner. Re- that that's it. The relocation dinner. Exactly that. That'll be my my opening line. Right. Uh, where were we? Back to the champion stakes. On that point, then suppose after the course walk, it's yeah somewhere between good to soft and soft, but not bottomless. Do you run mustard apple? Don't you? Yes. Why not? Um, I it was soft ground, properly soft ground last October when he really didn't run well, um, and I think at, at that level, yes, I would give it a go. Um, okay. You know, really testing ground at, 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 in the arc. One thing he ran perfectly creditably at Sandown with some cut in the ground uh, last season. So yeah, I, I would I would roll the dice. Do I think that? Um, conditions are in Mossadaf's favour. No, I don't. I do think that he is at his absolute best on good to firm ground, but it's an important runner for Sheikh Hissa in terms of the owner's mm. championship. Um, and, you know, wh- what else are you, go- are you going to be doing with, with, with this horse? Uh, uh, if if it is as you've described, roundabout good to soft, yes, I would roll the dice. Okay. That is a decision that John Gosden and Angus Gold and Sheikh Hissa are going to have to make tomorrow. And if they do run him then, is there uh, an opening there for for Mostadaf to use the tactics that Frankie deployed in the Judmont International and to crack on? Yes, yes, there is. He'd have to come from stall seven, but but yes, I mean there won't be horses um, climbing all over him to, to to try try and take him on. So I would say yes, yes, the yes there. Is. I mean, it's an interesting race, isn't there? Because um, Horizon Door isn't yet proven on this kind of ground. You've got other horses that. Um, you know, are very big prices for what they're capable of on their best form. Mm. Uh, the biggest one, I think, is Dubai Honor. Now, I get it that we've only seen him in Britain this season when he was last of four in the Eclipse, but prior to that, he seemed to be an improved performer, winning two grade ones in Australia. He's proven that he he likes Ascot. He's he's run very creditably when second to seal away in this race two years ago. He is 33 to 1. Um that's the wrong price to me. He he galloped very well the other day with his stable companion, Mike Prospero, who is wearing first-time blinkers. Um, th- they galloped at Newmarket uh, recently. Um, they both shaped pretty well. Um, and I-, I think that's a very big price for Dubai, Dubai Honor. And I also think that Via Sistina um, has got a very strong chance, a better chance than um, necessarily the uh, betting suggests. But the one that seems to me way overpriced is Dubai Honor. Uh, for William Haggis, who might just have a good day when there is almost no attention on him, unlike last year when all the attention was on him and he walked away rather disconsolate after the defeat of Baid. Jérôme Renier is the young French trainer who handles Factor Cheval, who put in a very good performance when running Paddington to a couple of lengths in the Sussex Stakes in very bad ground. He's been targeted at this race since... I put in a call to Jerome earlier on today and I asked him whether there was any reason to believe that he could finish closer to Paddington in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes over the straight mile tomorrow. Uh, is, there's a less uh, advantage weight for Paddington this time. And uh, I mean, the question of the straight course will be uh, very interesting. Um, he's uh, not eligible to race in the Prix Jean, uh, Jacques Lemarois during the summer in Deauville because he's a gelding. So that's the only way to, to test him over one mile straight. Uh, but I think uh, there will be some pace with Big Rock and Paddington. So that would be a proper 
uh, tests and we know that he's able to stay a little bit further because he was uh, such a, a good uh, runner in the pre-dispan of uh, nine furlongs. So he's got his ground, he's got a, probably a, a good trip for him. Um, he's in good shape. He hasn't been racing for a month and a half because he was prepping this uh, target. So, I mean, I was quite pleased with the way he has been traveling for the first time uh, abroad uh, for in Goodwood early uh, in August. Uh, he came back in good shape. He's been able to race back one month later in the Prix du Moulin Longchamp, where the conditions were quite fast with a very good ground. So now he's probably in a better shape and uh, having more uh, things for him. So we can only hope for the best. You've gone for Mikel Barcelona again tomorrow. He's had one sit on him when he was third behind Sauterne uh, at Longchamp in the, in the Prix de Moulin. Um, what's the thinking behind Mikel? Um, Gerard Nosset rode him for the first few races in his career, then Maxime Guillon rode him at, at Goodwood. Are you hoping that Mar- Mikel will be his regular rider from now on? I mean, you know, it's a question of opportunity. He's going to have a very good day, probably, Mikel, with uh, Horizon Doré in the champion stakes. And I love Mikel on the straight courses because I think he's very he's very smart riding horses on, on straight courses. And uh, we probably be aiming for Dubai in March next year with him. Uh, the, the Dubai turf of ninth uh, year long on, on turf at the end of March could be his next target. So going to prep him uh, back home after that and uh, and if uh, Michael is uh, I mean he knows uh, Maiden very well and if he's uh, free to ride him that would be a, a good thing to have him on board in Dubai as well so um, he had a good feeling the other day in Longchamp and uh, I think he will even he will be even better on soft ground so I think uh, it can be a good match and, and I do like somebody with a plan. And in fairness, before he even ran at Goodwood, so way back end of July, we spoke and you said, the QE2 Ascot really is my is my big target. You you knew that there was going to be a strong likelihood of, of soft ground. Have you worked backwards from here in the way that you've trained him? Are you training him to peak on this day? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's uh, the race of his life probably, but that's probably one of the hottest contests on uh, over one mile in, in Europe this year. Uh, Tahiha and Paddington and Big Rock, I mean, that's a very, very strong field. So that would be a good test to to know where he can go next year. But, um, yeah, obviously he has been uh, always answering to everything we've been asking him. So he's always here and uh, gives his best. And he's a very genuine horse and uh, he's a lovely horse. I mean, he just deserves to, to, to win one race like that. But I think I mean, tomorrow will be a bit tough uh, because he's probably just uh, under the, the, the best horses, but you never know. Well, I mean, yeah, if they go a bit too fast in front, they will f- probably find it a bit long. And uh, if we are waiting behind this, this kind of horses that are like uh, going, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they are tough, but uh, they, that's the, the, the end of the season and they've had a, a tough campaign, Paddington and, uh, and Big Rock. So if they are a little bit tired on the, on that day we we hope to bring a horse with a little fresher and uh, and and yeah and can keep them on the day uh, Jerome Ronier that Lydia is with me I, that was quite an interesting comment that he made about Mikel Barcelona and that he he was a, a wily rider on a straight course and he's been thinking about this race for a long time Jerome he was being very realistic about whether he could beat Paddington and Tahira but I like a man with a plan 
Very much so. And I like the way this horse has been campaigned. As you say, he's thoughtful in the deployment of his horses. I think on the day of the Sussex Stakes that Factor Cheval was a little bit flattered to get to, as close to Paddington as he was because uh, podcast listeners will remember that they got racing a, a very long way out in spiral came over to the stand side rail in the testing testing conditions and that may, meant that she and Paddington engaged a long way out and Paddington did really well I think to to win in the in the comfortable way in which he did and I think that horses that were getting close to him towards the finish hadn't done his running from such a long way out. You could make a pretty cogent case for quite a few of these. Um, mm -hmm. You've got some genuine star names at the top of the market here. Paddington, Tahira, Nashua, et al. Yes. Big and Big Rock, yes, absolutely. Uh, Big Rock, who will be going forward, who stays further than the mile. I think that will, will be, uh, the latter at least, will be an advantage. Um, Nashua, who's shown herself to be adaptable over 10 furlongs and a mile, but that was a brilliant performance in the Falmouth Stakes earlier on in the season. You've got Tahira, who... It's 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 intangible. You you feel you haven't quite seen the best of her yet, and she seems she's much more adaptable ground wise than I was expecting her to be. Um, Morge has clearly gone on to you know advertise internationally the level of their of their Guinness form. Um, it was an excellent performance winning the Matron Stakes last time, and I feel like we haven't possibly quite seen the best of her, which would be really interesting. If that is the case, then she is a serious threat uh, to Paddington. Um, and, and Paddington himself, who has who was carrying all before him through the season, responding and progressing for quite a, a tough campaign. He's now been given a break since his defeat in the international, and he um, the the ground will certainly suit him. I mean, the faster ground in the international might well not have been up his street this kind of ground you know he handles them more heavy than he'll probably encounter on on saturday but he things are absolutely ideal in many ways for him and he is a straightforward horse so yeah i think it, it's fascinating um my eyes will be on tahira and whether she can find further improvement i feel there's more there all right well one horse we know will handle conditions really well is vadream in the kipco uh, champion sprint very good record at Ascot. Very good record when the ground is is soft. Indeed, so good that I put the question to her trainer, Charlie Fellows. Was there ground that was actually too soft for her? No, no. As long as it's as long as racing goes ahead, uh, it, I really, really don't. Um, I would like more and more rain, as much rain as is physically possible, without it being cancelled. Basically, um, is she is she the most ground contingent horse you've had? Yeah, I think she is. I mean, I, I, I think it's. I think. I think you know, even, even sort of, good to soft, soft in places isn't soft enough for her. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think I've had a horse that is. You know, she'd be. She'd be thirty three to one on good to soft ground for this race. She's six to one second favourite uh, on what is probably going to be soft, heavy in places or heavy soft in places, depending on how much more rain we get. Uh, and if we know she likes soft ground, there's one other thing she absolutely loves, and it's Ascot, it seems. Uh, the, the combination could be absolutely deadly. Um, the key is, what sort of form have you got her in? Excellent. Um, she's got an excellent record at Ascot. Um, she, I don't, she's not the most straightforward horse in the world. Um, you know, everything has to go right. She's a typical sprinter, really, in that it doesn't take much just to tip her over the edge. Um, and in the July Cup, 
where everything looked like it had come good because she's also got quite a good record at Newmarket. Oh. The rain came for the July Cup. Uh, the horse box taking her from our yard up to the races managed to break down in the mile journey. Uh, and she then had to get off the horse box, wait for another one for half an hour. And then got, you know, by that time she'd run her race. So it, it, she's one of those that really needs everything to go right. But Ascot, I don't know, it just seems to work for her. And when she ran in the Bengoff last time, I've never, ever, ever seen her so relaxed and so calm in the preliminaries. She just, she, she could, I knew before the race that she was in good order uh and she was easy to saddle up and she just was in a good good headspace and as long as everything goes exactly the same tomorrow and hopefully you know the same her race starts from the moment she leaves our yard it's not it's not it's not from the moment she goes into those gates her race starts from the moment she leaves our yard and if anything goes wrong from that period to the moment she crosses the line um then uh then it'll affect the way she runs and this um, break that she had after the after the July Cup and then just bringing her back for the one race at Ascot last time, I mean, it looks like brilliant target training if it comes off. Is that what it is? It, it, it sort of is. We, we'd always planned to give her a mid-season break uh, this year. Uh, as it happened, I watched I watched the Maurice de Geest on soft ground uh, with her just doing a steady canter. Uh, which slightly uh, annoyed me, um, but we'd always had a long-term plan to go either Haydock Sprint Cup, fight it, uh, um, Flying Five, uh, or and then into Abbey and then Champions Day. But um, the Haydock Sprint Cup came up very quick. Obviously, the Abbey came up very quick. The Flying Five was quick until an hour before the race, and it absolutely hammered it down. So, um, so all of those sort of that prep second half of the season plans got slightly kicked into touch. Uh, and having planned to go to the Abbey, we pulled the plug at the last minute. I said, Look, there's just no point going over there. Let's, let's go to the Bengal. Let's go back to Ascot uh, two weeks before the race, blow the cobwebs out. She can have a little pipe opener there and it'll put a spot on for Champions Day. Trainer Charlie Fellows there on the chances of a dream in the sprint for which Kin Ross... Frankie Dottori, Rafe Beckett, Verona Mark Chan is the heavy favourite. The more you look at this race, the, the less I can see meaningful opposition to Kinross, but you might have a different view, Lydia. I'm not sure it it probably ought to be quite as one-sided as, as, the, as the betting says, but the deadly thing that Kinross has is that he is incredibly reliable. The, the consistency of form that he has shown over such a long period of time and particularly this season, is just remarkable. Um, you can argue that maybe he was operating at a slightly higher level this last season compared to this, but he is relentlessly consistent. And that is not necessarily something that his opposition can claim. Sandrine has come right back to form on her last three starts while she showed promise in Deauville, and then she's come right back to form. Um, but over seven furlongs at York, and at Doncaster, and she was quite um, convincingly beaten by Kinross at Doncaster. And, and then you start looking at other interesting rivals and angles maybe from an each-way perspective. The dream is it's certainly, um, the, the positive is the rain. She needed rain in order to be to be in this conversation. Rohan loves that track. He's quite interesting. 
Didn't run to freedom place in this race last year. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did. He was second, yeah. wasn't he, to Kinross? Yeah, one hundred and fifty to one, wasn't he, last year when he was second? Yeah, yeah. But he has since since backed that up, hasn't he? He has since, in fact, gone on to better things with that second in the in the July Cup, and you know he he won at Salisbury and what turned out to be a, um, quite a a deep edition of the Cathedral um, Stakes, which had been moved in the calendar. Um, yeah, there was a, a poor performance at Haydock last time, but at his best. He would be a threat, provided the ground isn't too soft. So there's a there's a few that I think you can start building in, and Millstream as well on his very very best form, which is that win at Deauville two starts back. He too would be interesting, and and cutting the ground I think is important to him potentially. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think Kinross deserves to be favourite because generally and quite comfortably favourite because generally you know what you're going to get from him and it's going to be incredibly high class but there might be some horses here that this particular set of circumstances throws up a big run uh, we always talk about Sha shaquille who is not here and i was reading mm. some of the quotes from steve brown a husband of trainer julie camacho and i i sensed a certain ruefulness in his in his quotes when he was talking about what a great era it's been and they're lucky to have had shaquille in the yard and discussions were taking place as to his future with the owners sort of sounded to me like if the stud deal hadn't been done it was on the table oh that would be that, i mean that would really be a great shame wouldn't it because we've just had one bad run for him this season and it was clearly you know a, a, a very bad run he weakened very quickly in, in in the sprint cup but prior to that he was just still improving you know, from Candicap Company through Listed Company to those group ones the last twice that we saw him in the Commonwealth Cup and the, and the July Cup uh, against Elder Horses, that being his peak performance. And clearly he had his quirks. He had some issues with the start and that kind of thing. So there might be an argument that perhaps he's on a short fuse. But it seems um, it's so disappointing, isn't it, for racing fans when these horses are retired if that does prove to be the case, um, you know, before you feel that you you fully know them, and I don't think we we fully knew Shaquille, and I, it's going to be a massive blow to that yard. And um, I am, I, I do hope that it it, it means that more people realise how well that they can handle and produce horses, because it's been such a, a superb story all, all this season. I love talking to them after their races as as well. You know, they they <laughs> they really kept their feet on the ground during this sort of dizzying season and you know whatever happens with Shaquille um, I hope more people come and support the yard I'm I'm intrigued by one of the jockey bookings in the long distance cup tomorrow the, the 115 the Kipco yeah. long distance cup Aidan O'Brien's got a couple of runs of course he's got the favorite Kiprios he's also got Broom and he's gone for for Dylan Brown McMonagall I just wonder if this is a Aidan's trolling Frank Frankie's non-final day do you, yes, do you want to explain? So Frankie Dottori is on Trawler Man in yep. Stall 1 and uh, Dylan Brown McGonagall's on Broom in Stall 2 and you're you're recalling a, sort of, a certain flashpoint? This was two years ago, of course, you'll remember. Uh, the race has been won by Trushan for the last three years. Two years ago, Stradivarius was third and uh, went very wide around the final bend and Frankie uh, initially blamed Dylan, the young and then rather unknown Dylan Brown McMonagall, who'd been riding Baron Samdi and said the kid was forcing him wide and there was a big row and et cetera, et cetera. You know the rest. And he had to apologise. And Well, and apologise he should have done. Really. It was yeah. not, I mean, I'm sure Frankie Dottori looks back at it and thinks it wasn't his finest moment because it certainly wasn't. Um, but anyway, so yes, yeah, so I just thought it was quite amusing that they were in stalls one and two. <laughs>
Oh, that's a lovely little byplay. Um, and Mohan, how do you see this? Because the market, to some degree, assumes that Kiprios will bounce back to that extraordinarily dominance that he had in this division last mm. season. I mean, that win in the Cadran was outstanding staying form. And he came back in the Irish St. Ledger and he ran creditably for a horse coming back from a long layoff. But he's come up back from long layoffs before and um, regained or bettered the form that he'd already got, got in the book. And it was kind of like a, a sort of worthy plugging on behind Eldar Eldaroff, who himself, you know, has been quite comfortably brushed aside by horses during the course of the season, running really well. But you know that that this was his um, this was his performance of the, of the season, and so there is an assumption that Kiprios will improve past Trushan for the benefit of that run. And on Trushan's form this season, since he's had the wind operation and bounced back, he would need to improve on what he did in the Irish St. Ledger. Um, Trushan's built on his Doncaster Cup win with that really good performance in, in the Cadran last time. So, I mean, you can argue that maybe he might come on again because he still hasn't quite reached his absolute peak. At their respective bests, Kiprios is the superior stayer, but Trushan has won this race for the past three years and of course uh, further flight when this race used to be the, the jockey club stakes he dominated this for five successive years for Barry and, and Michael Hills and Trushan is uh, starting to build that that you know co that dizzying uh, uh, comparison uh, and if we think back to the start of the season there was talk of retirement for Trushan so it's wonderful to see him back. Sweet William is another interesting runner isn't he? That's second in the Doncaster Cup his first dip into group company and I suspect uh, the kind of horse the kind of pedigree where he will get better with time so he's going to be interesting in that race too. Uh, should we have a quick word about the Phillies race as well? Yeah. yeah. The Kipco British champions Phillies and Mares. Uh, Free Wind is the 130 favourite after her rather uh, lacklustre performance in the arc. Um, but I guess in against her own sex, she's always got to be respected. Yeah, I think respected is the word. I, I don't think the Gosnells will be that delighted about the rain, at least... I think they will think they're on the inner rank course, which is not as deep as the 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 usual course, and I think that will help. But uh, Free Wind at her at her very best is a formidable performer, and she she showed that at York when second in in the Yorkshire, it's running really well behind Warm Heart, but that was in her favoured conditions. Given her favoured conditions in the arc, she made no impact really. Um, never able to get involved and then east and she has got a lot of horses who are at their peak a pound or so behind her pound two pounds behind her and some horses that are progressing i mean time lock would be the one that you would immediately turn to for that with a, a massive career best performance last time out um jackie O as well after her second in the opera um that was a, was a really strong performance so I, I i think i'd be looking for angles against free wind in that race how about you uh, very hard. Um, I thought blue stocking was interesting with the cheek pieces mm. on for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that run at Chester wasn't too bad, actually, behind a horse who's gone in since Al Karim. And she's proven that she can handle plenty of giving the ground. In fact, she probably needs it. So I'd be mildly tempted by her. I'm Again, I'm interested to see what the headgear will do with Above the Curve, who I think is a genuine top-notcher on her day. 
I agree. I mean, she's the one that I would say in terms of form in the book that we know about is the closest mm. to what Free Wind has achieved. And uh, I think that um, uh, Above the Curve is uh, more is proven more capable with cutting the ground. And I agree with you. I think she's a top class performer given her conditions. She is overpriced compared with the favourite. For sure. Well, it's been a huge year for the syndicate that is the Rogues Gallery. And it's going to be a huge weekend potentially for them as well. You'll remember um, Rogue Millennium winning at, at Royal Ascot uh, for trainer Tom Clover and jockey D Danny Tudhope. Rogue Millennium goes in the QE2 um, tomorrow on Champions Day. We were talking to part owner Rishi Passad earlier in the week. Uh, Tony Elliott runs the, the Rogues Gallery uh, and it could be an, an even bigger weekend because Rogue Lightning, a recent Doncaster winner, um, goes in the inaugural Goffs champions day sale so i would imagine the nerves are a bit shredded at the moment aren't they tony uh, no it's the complete opposite to be to be honest um the way we've done it we don't normally sell horses but because of the uh value of these we've we think it's fair that to try and give the syndicate members some money back obviously all the money gets shared back into the syndicate um and so we've put a quite a high reserve on both the horses uh, and if we end up buying them back, we'll buy them back. Uh, it's just, it, it's basically is that. So, in fact, you feel it's a, a shot to nothing, and you, you're going to you're going to make plenty with both because Rogue Millennium. Then she'll go to the Scepter sessions at Tattersalls in uh, in December, and, and Rogue Lightning in in this inaugural golf sale sale tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's going to be it's exciting more than uh, nervous uh, for a small syndicate like ourselves. It's just fantastic to be there I think we're going to be the top lot tomorrow at Ascot Sale um, and we'll be one of the top lots at uh, um, the um, Scepter Sale so exciting times and just give us an idea of the scale of this how much did you buy these horses for and can you give me some indication of what you might be expecting or at least what you're not prepared to let them go for less than uh, well we've I, I can't really speak about um Rogue Millennium is going to be around um, between one and two million, I would guess. Um, speaking to Tassels, who are the experts. And Rogue Lightning, I'm not really going to put a figure on at the moment, only because we've got two or three people interested. Mm. Um, and, you, and, you, and you want to get as much as you can, obviously, yeah. Yeah, so we put quite a high reserve on what we think. We've had a couple of offers to share the horse in different countries. Um, so we're open to a lot of um, different angles. We don't really want to sell either because obviously Tom Clover, there is flag bearers. Um, he doesn't want to lose them. Uh, and we, you know, to find horses like this and to find two in in one year has just been incredible. All right. And what was the aggregate? What did they cost you between them? Uh, 80 grand for the two of them. Amazing. Amazing. And, and hopefully we get a two, two or three million back. <laughs> No one, no one, no wonder you're laughing. Now, what, now, what does this, what does this enable the syndicate to do next year? How big could Rogues Gallery become off the back of this? Do you think? Um, what we would like to do, I mean, as the this is our the end of our fourth year, um, and we're up to probably two hundred and fifty to three hundred members, um, and all the dead wood sort of gets cut out in the, and the, when we give this bit of money back to everybody, hopefully. Come the breeze ups, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how many people put their money back in or take their money and run. And, you know, we it, it's a very fair syndicate where everything gets shared back. So it's, 
it's exciting times. It really is exciting times. So it, I know you, you've always been somebody who wants to play with, with, with quality bloodstock. You, you like looking and, and sourcing the horses yourself. You, you, know, you like trying to get in at the, uh, at the higher end. It, it, would it be a dream to have more members of the syndicate or do you think you've got a kind of optimal number uh, with which to then spend a little bit more money? Um, I think it's, I personally think it's a numbers game and I would aim to be having like 50 horses would be the optimum for us. It would be fantastic. If we could, I've just bought another six at the sales, yearlings, um, and we buy, we always buy pedigree um, as much as we can. So we've got some really, really nice um, yearlings now that are on our website for people to buy. To be fair, I think we're nearly sold out. So it's definitely working well. And what about a a dream finish to the, to this season? I I know I know conditions have probably conspired against Rogue Millennium a bit, but is there any reason to think that she can run better than her price tomorrow? Um, when I looked at fifty to one, I'll definitely be having a few quid on. When she ran in France and she came third over a mile and a quarter, that was very heavy ground, very heavy ground. And I know she goes on heavy ground. She's a Dubawi as well, which helps. Um, I think she's well overpriced. The only concern for us, she's had quite a hard season. Um, the ground doesn't bother me at all, but she's had a, she's had a hard season. And if she wasn't going to the sales, um, I wouldn't be running her. I'd be putting her away now. So it's it, it's a, a no-lose situation. We're going to have a lovely day at Ascot tomorrow. We're selling one, and we've got Millennium in the QE2, which is a dream. You know, Richie Passad at the beginning of the year said, imagine if we could get her in the QE2. Mm. So that's what we've done. Basically, we're there as a small syndicate and we're going to enjoy the day. All right, Tony Elliott there. Lydia's still with me. And Lydia, before we go, just time to tidy up a couple of bits and pieces from the jumping world. Uh, first of all, and it rather slipped under the radar, uh, to be honest, the, the news that Enegumen, the dual champion chaser, was out for the season. Mm. Um, was met with more of a shrug than, than I, I'd anticipated, really. Yeah, I think that's I think that's purely due to timing, and we are going to feel his absence because if you look over the balance of the previous two seasons, he was uh, the dominant two mile chaser, dual Queen Mother Champion chase winner. He's won at the Punchestown Festival for the past three seasons. He was he's nine. He's going to be ten next year, which means when he comes back to Cheltenham, he's going to be eleven years of age. Last eleven year old to win the Champion Chase was Moscow Flyer in two thousand and five. Um, so it's going to be something of a of a of a task for Energumen to come back. He's got a hind leg injury. It means he won't be able to try and emulate Badsworth Boy, who won three on the bounce in the uh, mid eighties, early to mid eighties. Uh, but of course, he would have had a a large impost against that particular title anyway, in the form of his stable companion El Fabiola, who is such a brilliant winner of the mm. Arkle. So I think it, it does rob the rob the season of something more than what it specifically likely robs us of is a clash between those horses in the Queen Mother Champion Chase because there's uh, as sure as eggs is eggs they wouldn't have been meeting before then yeah and that that's true and what it also means is it takes away that idea that you've actually got the best from the previous couple of years against the young up-and-comers I think all that we're now going to get John Bond versus El Fabiolo once or twice at the end of the year aren't we that's the that's the likeliest scenario Yes, we could have had some some collateral byplay, which would have been you know very interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely, and it 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 does it does feel 
a little bit shallow at the moment, maybe, in that division. I, I do wonder whether it'll make Alan King have a rethink, because he was saying he was going to go up and trip with Edward Stone and run him in races like the Peterborough Chase and maybe even have a half a look at the King George. But I wonder if he looks at a one-horse race in the Tingle Creek and think, well, hang on a minute, I won that so easily last year. I think he should have a rethink. Uh, I can't, really do. can't just let 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 him ha- let let one this side of the sea and the other the other side of the sea have a have a t- for want of a much better word at evoking memories of Dan Skelton a freebie. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I mean, in terms of from Alan King's perspective, what's what's he got with Edwardson? He's got you know one inexplicably poor run where right from the very start of the race you could see. It wasn't happening. A bit like you know some Shishkin's races. You could see it right from the very start. Not happening. Never happening at all. So uh, if you compare that with what he's achieved in the rest of the season, which is you know top flight form, uh, why you wouldn't stick with that? Given that one of the biggest players has just exited stage right, sadly for the whole of the whole of the season, and that horse is. Uh, trained on the other side of the Irish Sea, which means that their number one horse, if he was ever coming over, and I, I'm assuming that El Fabiola would be uh, deemed their number one, um, but maybe maybe he wouldn't. Um, I would. Um, uh, that, that he's more likely to stay in Ireland. Um, so yeah, I I would definitely have a rethink. Talking of having a rethink, that's exactly what Punchestown Racecourse have done, Lydia. Uh, they have moved the times of some of their races again, certainly in the early part of the week. Just explain what's happened. Yeah, so they've um, taken feedback and had a, a thorough review and they moved to later start times back in 2009, but they've decided it's going to be beneficial at least for the first two days. So that's Tuesday, April the 30th and Wednesday, the 1st of May to move to a 2.30pm start from a 3.40pm start. Um, the usual uh, later evening starts for the rest of the week. Um, there's also reduced admission prices down to 30 euros for the first three days and 40 euros on the Friday and Saturday. That's, um, I think, uh, at least a 10 euro uh, reduction, depending on which enclosure you went to. And they're also talking and there's no details really about this, about inter- introducing new race go amenities. And they've removed the traditional reserved enclosure. Now, the, the, I I'm, I'm tend to be working <laughs> when I'm at Pension. I haven't actually been that often. So the the my understanding of the impact of those announcements is is not is not whole. But clearly um they have the the positive is that they've listened to feedback and moved things around to be positive. And I think in terms of the clashes that it that an earlier start time at Punchestown might serve up, well the significant one would be with Ascot Cigaro Stakes meeting on the Wednesday, and that could have a, some impact potentially from a perspective of uh, British punters and British turnover and levy. But it's later start on the Friday and Saturday means that it doesn't impact with the most on the most um, uh, high profile elements of the Guineas meeting. The overlap is less. All right, Lydia, you've just got one. Uh, chance now to go out in a blaze of glory you have one job <laughs> tip the winner of the balmoral handicap uh migration from top weight now i know he's rated one one three but the way he won the lincoln at the start of the season how he is in big field handicaps how he is when fresh how he is with some cut in the ground uh the, the performance at doncaster suggested that he could be a group horse but he's just not suited by the way that most group horses particularly in britain tend to pan out you know small fields steady paces he'll get the exact opposite in the balmoral handicap that's exactly what suits him best so migration in the 425 ascot tomorrow lydia see you at ascot tomorrow we'll be on the inner track 
That was Friday, October the 20th. Have a great Champions Day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.